0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. Today's episode is the first in our Reinventing Education mini-series. Over the next four weeks, we'll take a deep dive into the immense challenge of reopening schools. Amidst a growing global pandemic and with persistent outbreaks and a patchwork of reopening plans, one of the biggest issues facing our nation is what to do about the education and childcare for the country's over 73 million children. The far-reaching impact of ongoing school closures in America has a ripple effect that impacts all aspects of both life and the economy. Over the next month, we will talk to teachers about how they are dealing with remote learning or the idea of returning to the classroom. We'll hear from epidemiologists about how we should be planning for inevitable outbreaks, and we'll explore both the private and public sector solutions to taking care of kids' education and well-being while also retaining and supporting working parents. Today, we'll talk to three families about the struggles they're facing while caring for and educating their kids and working full-time. Fast Company associate editor Yasmin Gagne has been speaking to a number of families across the country getting their stories. Yas, thank you so much for being here for this crucial conversation.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to talk to three families that are dealing with unique challenges. Of course, there are literally millions of stories out there, but these three families that you're highlighting here kind of show the depth and breadth of an issue in a way that we haven't heard as much. But before we get into their stories, we should, we should kind of lay out the big picture. So like how schools are proceeding this fall and even right now is kind of varying from state to state. What are some of the, the different school circumstances that families are facing right now?
1: Yeah, so like you said, it varies. Some school districts aren't returning at all, and instead they'll rely on distance learning via Google Classrooms or Zoom, what have you. LA is taking this tack, and it's one of the largest school districts in the country, so that affects over 700,000 students. Here in New York, where I am, Schools are reopening, though some have different schedules to stagger students or they'll have a mix of virtual and in classroom learning.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like this hodgepodge, depending on where you are in the country, but even where you are in the city. So like in New York, theoretically, right, you could have like a family with students in two different schools that are on two different staggered schedules. So you never have your kids in school at the same time or other school districts I know have said Okay, you have to decide either you pick online learning and you are committed for the whole year or you pick some sort of hybrid or you pick in classroom and then maybe you can change. And it just seems like so overwhelming and so chaotic. And then for early childhood education, some sometimes you're in a better situation, like a lot of preschools are independent of the school district. So they're able to open if they have small Mm -hmm. enough class sizes. But it's it's just really who knows? And, and for everybody, it has different circumstances and different
1: reopening plans. And it's just, it's not cohesive for sure. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's no consistency there. And I guess I know from my perspective, I kept as the summer sort of went by and as I interviewed people, I kept hoping there would be answers, but the school year is beginning now. And I feel like people still don't know what's going on.
0: Or the, or the school year has started in some places and then plans totally backtracked I mean that's happening um with with school districts but also with um colleges is they said okay Mm -hmm. we're we're doing in person and we're opening and then they saw all these outbreaks and they're like walk it back and go completely virtual but that's incredibly difficult to plan your life around and especially if you're a working parent you know what do you say like oh I can come in I can come into work oh now I can't come into work
1: you know yeah yeah that's definitely true and for the you know it's it's a burden on all you know, parents working or not, um, and for the three families I spoke to, they sort of had have um, kind of additional circumstances mm-hmm. that make the situation even harder. So tell me about the first family that you talked to. Yeah, so uh, first of all, just to say we're only using people's first names in order to kind of protect the identities of people we spoke to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first family I talked to um, is based in San Leandro, California. I spoke to Guillermo and Ulisa. Ulisa is the treasurer for her branch of the labor union Unite here, and they're at home with their son Cesar, who is seven years old. And Guillermo stopped working five years ago when Cesar was diagnosed with autism.
2: When that happened, uh, we were a two-income family. Um, I, w- I worked in the nonprofit industrial complex, um, which uh, usually provided me some flexibility, but our insurance was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made more sense for me to take a sabbatical, basically quit my job, stay home,
1: learn what it means to be a parent of an autistic child and... Support him through that. So even prior to the pandemic, this family had a different education situation.
0: Yeah, totally. So, so what did a typical
1: school week look like for Cesar and his parents? So Cesar was attending a school in front of their house. But according to Guillermo, kids with special needs were being slowly warehoused at a different school a few miles away. So he sort of moved there. This year, for the first time, Cesar started taking the bus and spending a full day at school. Outside of the classroom, he also had a PEC schedule, though. So he attends adaptive behavioral speech and physical therapy sessions. And now he does school and those therapy sessions online. So and this is something that in some form or another, a lot of families
0: are dealing with. A lot of these therapy sessions have all moved online, right? Right.
1: Yeah, that's right. So roughly 14% of students enrolled in public schools receive special education services or receive them during the 2018-2019 school year, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics.
0: And, and just to back up a little bit for people who aren't familiar, there's a couple of different types of special education programs that can serve students. So there's The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which provides special education services to students, including like modified curriculum, classroom accommodations, Mm -hmm. specialized instruction, occupational therapy, speech therapy, those sorts of things. And um, under that umbrella, there's also Section 504, which covers students who don't meet the criteria for special education, but still require some kind of accommodations. So as you can imagine, many of those types of services are really difficult to deliver over
1: remote learning platforms platforms. The kind of services that are required sort of vary in range, but a lot of the time it's kind of classroom Mm -hmm. assistance that happens during class and Mm -hmm. that's sort of impossible to deliver remotely. Already schools were sort of underfunded or under resourced and now what with remote learning schools often don't have a ton of resources to devote to it.
0: Yeah. And and so what happened for Cesar and his parents when
1: when everything shut down in March? Well, like all of us, Guillermo and you, Lisa, wanted answers.
2: I met with the teachers. I asked them what she plan around sanitizing, what she plan around making sure the kids have clean hands. And there was no plan, so at that point we pulled our kids from school.
1: And so they were left pretty much on their own for the rest of the school year. No teacher, just a Google folder with exercises for Guillermo to do with Cesar. And that's it. But as much care as he can give his son, Guillermo isn't a teacher, and he's not in the classroom with Cesar.
2: I, but that was very disappointing to uh, to have the teacher not reach out to us, to not have a program um, for him. Um, it just felt like kids who are, are like, aside who are special needs just got left behind, and, and it didn't matter that he wasn't uh, being treated like the other kids who had daily Zoom calls and uh, classroom training with their teacher, right? They, you know they were trying to to make it work right so it's some attempt of that but it, it just it, it, there
1: was not even an attempt made by his, by his uh school teacher that was Ulisa we just heard
0: so how is all of this affecting cesar i know structure is really important for all kids but especially kids with autism
1: yep you're totally right so guillermo and Ulisa signed up for an extended school year so it's an extra month of school it's basically summer school and during that time, students signed into Zoom every day in the morning and kind of checked in. They didn't necessarily need to stay on Zoom all day, but it was mm-hmm. a lot more structured than remote learning had been during the school year. And the structured school day, or at least just seeing other kids on screen in the morning, was really helpful to Cesar, who does thrive when he follows a routine.
0: And, you know, the, uh, the obvious consequences to this kind of remote learning pandemic education system that we've all been thrown into beyond the student and the social interaction and the services that they get. And, you know, can they pay attention for, for a zoom, a certainly a long extended zoom is the challenge and the burden on working parents. I imagine that's much more of a challenge for you, Lisa and Guillermo.
1: Yeah. So You know, during the school year, they would kind of check in on Zoom, but sort of be left on their own to do exercises. Um, So they weren't necessarily staying on Zoom all day. But a really big challenge for them has actually been handling all of the occupational therapies that César does now outside of school, um, because they all have to be done virtually. That's been really tough because a lot of them are hands on. When César does a physical exercise, say with blocks, Guillermo right now has to kind of tilt the screen to show the therapist, which which isn't ideal. Beyond that, things have been tough for the family because Guillermo falls into an at-risk category for the coronavirus. So the family has basically barely left their apartment. They're going stir-crazy. Oh, God. Um, And, you know, an additional risk on top of all this, and this is part of the reason why they were you know, they don't want Cesar to return to school at the moment is that Cesar is nonverbal. So he can't speak, which means that if he feels sick, he may not even be able to communicate that to his parents. I mean, that that touches on so many different
0: aspects, because all of these one one, of the challenges that he has and all the therapies that he needs. But but two just the like the parental involvement, I know, like, In in normal circumstances, in like the the easiest, quote unquote, circumstances that that working parents have, you set up all of these after school activities, you set up all of these other things, because you need your child somewhere to be engaged in something while you do all the the million things you have to do and while you do work. And so I imagine in regular times, they could drop him off at his therapies and get some things done, right? Like do Mm -hmm. their work. But now they are there doing the therapies along with them. There's no, there's no break for them. And then yeah, add on top of that layer of the health risks and the health fears. And I think a lot of people are talking about returning to school as like, I need somewhere to put my kids or they need the social emotional learning. But a lot of parents are are choosing even when their schools do open to opt out because you know, they're immune compromised or they have elderly people at home or their children are immune compromised. And it doesn't matter if the school is fully reopened. It doesn't matter what the plan is. So long as COVID is here before there's a vaccine, there are certain people that just cannot go to school.
1: Yep. I think that's I think that's totally true. And and, you know, this has been really tough for Guillermo because, as we said before, he took time off from working to kind of care for his son. And now that this was this was supposed to be the first year that Cesar spent all day in school and he was preparing to go back to work, he'd been sending out his resumes um, and he was excited about it. And obviously that's all been put on hold now with this added layer of responsibility.
2: So look, I only have one child and this is a child that has autism. So I don't know what other parents are doing. Mm-hmm. But for us, we were already doing five things and now we have to do five more. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to do it, right? Because there's nobody else to turn to. And mm-hmm. that's the part that bothers me, that I know that at some point I can't do it all, right? Um, and luckily, Eunice is here, but otherwise we'd be, we'd be uh, lost. Mm-hmm. But otherwise we'd be, we'd be uh, lost mm-hmm. if it wasn't one person.
1: So what will be the plan for this school year for them? So they'll be entirely remote, which is what they wanted, but at the time we talked, they didn't have much guidance beyond a start date.
2: I don't know what the schedule is going to be. We haven't been told who the teacher is. We don't have any guidance at all on to what to expect. And we don't have enough information to know what to do.
0: School districts and teachers are all scrambling right now and many schools have reopened or they will soon or they're still trying to figure it out or they're trying to get laptops and devices to people. It still seems like there's so many more questions than answers right now. And I want to move on to our next family that you talk to. But first, a quick break. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Yes, tell me about the next family that you talked to.
1: So I spoke to Alfredo, who's an MTA worker. He works on the New York public transit system and he worked through the pandemic, through the worst of it in New York. He has a daughter, Eleni, entering the eighth grade and his wife stays at home with her. They live in East New York. Because Alfredo is an essential worker, he's been fairly isolated from his family. Especially early on, he had to take so many re- precautions to try and keep his family and himself safe. Just coming home from work was a process.
2: Yeah, I have a, a room with, with, an, uh, with a door that you can get it outside. Mm-hmm. So I used to move the room to, to sleep when I used to come from the, from the MTA. When it was really crazy, I, I had a mask inside the house. I used to I used to wear a mask all, all day long. I used to take a bath, take my clothes, and go back to
0: the room. Yeah, and in a lot of families, even when when both parents are working, women end up bearing much of the burden of childcare and running the household and remote learning now. But for families uh, like this one, where the father is an essential worker, that division can be even more expanding because you know, like he, like he said, the risk to his family's health. And it's, it's no secret that essential workers have been at a much higher risk of contracting and dying from COVID-19. And when the country went into lockdown and many people started working from home, essential workers obviously continued to use public transportation and interact with other people. And just in the MTA, for example, over 100 MTA workers in New York City have died of coronavirus and over 3000 healthcare workers worldwide
1: have died of coronavirus. And that's just two professions. When you consider all the jobs that are deemed essential, delivery people, police officers, grocery store and drugstore employees, it shows that a lot of families may be in a situation where at least one caregiver is unable to work from home. Yeah, and then you think about you know, single parent families
0: or those that have a caregiver that can't stay at home and the one that's there is has a job that's 24 seven of not only childcare, but also teaching and working and somehow managing to do their job. So for many families, that ends up meaning that something has to give, right? And so in the spring, for many families, that was likely their kid's education. Now they're facing an entire school year that may be virtual or some sort of hybrid, and working parents are really in a bind. What are they going to choose?
1: And even when both parents work from home, it sort of ends up being the case that a lot of the time the mom still does all the child care and housework. The New York Times wrote about how for heterosexual couples, even when both parents have jobs mothers of kids under the age of 13 have reduced their work hours four to five times more than their fathers
0: yeah it's it, i think the the new york times article was they always come to mom and it's so true, you know, in, in my household, for example, my, my husband's been furloughed. So he's the, the one that's taking care of the kids all day long. And I'm the one that's, that's working full time. And I have a door that closes. I'm a, a very fortunate situation, but how many times a day does that door burst open for help or for, I just want to tell you something. It, it always, you know, no matter what you do, it somehow, you know, seems to fall on mom. <laughs> oh. That's tough. So, so how have Alfredo and his wife handled their their daughter's virtual schooling?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When schools in New York first shut down, they struggled.
2: And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy. It was we worry uh, more than We worry about like we don't want our daughters to, to get it. That was our main concern.
1: This is a calculation a lot of parents are having to make they have to weigh up the benefit of having their children in school and the risk to their health.
0: Yeah, and there's so many unknowns when it comes to the health risks of reopening schools, right? So later in this series, we'll be talking to epidemiologists about their biggest concerns with school reopenings. And perhaps one of the most surprising findings is that many disease experts agree that the social emotional learning that kids get from school is too important to just forego altogether even if COVID-19 presents health risks to bringing students back in the classrooms. Still, the question is how to do it, what to do if cases start to emerge, and what will mark kind of the tipping point for schools shutting back down.
1: Yeah, that's the dilemma here. As far as Alfredo, who's seen coworkers get sick or even die, he doesn't think sending his kids back to school is worth the risk.
2: I don't think it's a good time yet. I think they should go remove at least for a couple of months, two months or so, and see how it goes, and then try to go little by little. Mm -hmm. The coronavirus is still there.
0: Okay, so let's move on to our final
1: family. Tell me about who you spoke to and what they're dealing with. So I spoke to Araceli. She's a single mother living in the Bronx with her two sons, aged 11 and 13. She's not fluent in English, her kids' language of instruction, so we actually did this interview in Spanish. Prior to the pandemic, she worked in a nail salon, but when the coronavirus hit, she was out of a job. In July, she returned to work with reduced hours. As you can imagine, there's only so much Araceli can do to help her sons with their schoolwork. It's really hard to understand tasks in schoolwork. So I
3: talk to my sons and I tell them they need to put in 100% effort and make an effort to learn because I can't help them with
1: that. She's trying her best, but this remote learning setup is challenging for everyone, even if their parents do speak the language of instruction. I'm focused on their studies.
3: I don't know much about electronics and all that. So they had to figure out everything to do with their online classes alone.
0: So do we have any idea how many families out there are dealing with this sort of issue?
1: So we don't know exactly, but there are over 20 percent of school-aged children who speak a different language than English at home, and that number has been growing over the past few years. Some schools or school districts are adapting to it. This wasn't a
0: non-issue pre-pandemic, though, but it's obviously exacerbated now. What types of resources have been available to parents like Araceli, both before the pandemic and and now? It's it's kind of hard to imagine no school, no district had any means to address this sort of thing.
1: Araceli told me that when she went to parent-teacher conferences, the school often arranged for an interpreter to translate feedback from staff or teachers. Now she doesn't have access to any resources to help. On top of all this, the issue that's unavoidable is the health risk inherent to any return to in-person education. So Araceli is a nail technician. She can't do her job from home. So she's had to go out to work every day. She knows the risks her kids face in this pandemic because she faces them herself going to work.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If I could work from home, like my kids learn from home, I would. I would do it so I don't expose myself or put my health in danger. But I need to make money to put food on the table for my kids. I don't want my kids to go back to school physically. It will be harder for them to stay socially distanced from their peers, and they will be exposed to more people. They have to take a bus to school as well, okay, where I there will be more
2: people. It's autobuses.
0: So, so many parents are faced with two pretty terrible possibilities, depending on what their plan for their school district is or what the different cities or states are going to end up going with, right? So one is deal with the struggles of remote learning and accept that their kids may fall behind on their education and their really crucial, like social, emotional development or two, send their kids to school and worry about their health
1: and safety and the health and safety of their families. That's exactly right. And for Araceli, her preference is clear. I told my kids I'd prefer a dumb son
3: because he stayed home from school than a smart one dying in the hospital because he was exposed.
0: (sighs) That's just, it's heartbreaking. Like, thinking of the situation that, that parents are in across the country, it ranges really, I feel like, from inconvenient to... Absolutely, life and death, heartbreaking, impossible struggles, and uh, I can't, I can't even imagine being in one of these situations like like these families have outlined. You know, you think that you you have it hard, and then you realize how much harder so many other people have it. And yes, thank you so much for for bringing these three families to us and and helping kind of shed a light on on how big this issue really is and how nuanced it is too. Because I, I think that that gets lost in a lot of this conversation is, is people say, oh, I just need somewhere to send my kids. And it's really so, so, so much more complex than that.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Something that really struck me over the course of my reporting is the fact that at, at the beginning when the coronavirus hit, a lot of people were calling it a great leveler because it could hit you know, anyone from any social class, any ethnicity in any location could get sick, but I think this reporting proves that it's, it's not a leveler in any way, um, and that these situations dealing with remote learning are so much harder for some people than others.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, and this is, this is something that we're going to touch on in future episodes, especially when we, when we get into the the public policy versus, you know, private policy solutions to this issue. But you, you hit the nail on the head right there, as far as it's not the great leveler, you know, we've seen one that, you know, as we mentioned in this episode, essential workers are are dying at much higher rates than everybody else and those a lot of those essential workers are people from marginalized communities with lower incomes and not a lot of resources and two as far as you know children's education you would think it's public school right everybody has the same rights and opportunities to a, a free public education but it's not it's it's wealthier families are forming their own pods and hiring tutors and their kids are going to exceed and kids like those in the three families that you've you've outlined here are going to fall behind one way or the other through no fault of their own work and through no fault of their their parents are you know again as you've outlined are are just struggling and trying everything under the sun to get their children, their basic right of education in a safe and healthy environment.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And um, as we sit here recording with the new school year beginning, these problems are only set to increase.
0: Yes, thank you so much for, for bringing these stories to us. That's all for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Secrets of the Most Productive People wherever you listen to podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Are you a working parent, a teacher? Let us know how you've been handling remote learning or school reopenings by leaving us a voicemail at 833-582-FAST. That's 833-582-3278. Or you can tweet at us with the hashtag FCMostProductive or send us an email at mostproductive at fastcompany.com. Those are also all in the show notes for this episode, along with links to all of the articles in our special Reinventing Education series. If this episode was helpful, please let us know. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Joshua Christensen.